Thank you for listening to the One City Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Last Sunday, we came to you with a message after his resurrection. We spoke of the images of that first resurrection weekend, a cross and his death, a tomb and his burial, a stone that was rolled away in his victory. But there's one more detail that it seems that we just overlook and we never have really stopped to consider, and that is a cemetery that was full of open graves. Because on that first resurrection morning, it wasn't only his grave that was opened, but we have to remember on that preceding Friday when he said, it is finished, the earth shook. And that those garden tombs around Calvary were opened. And for those two days, Friday and Saturday, the Jews could do nothing about it because Saturday was a Passover and it was a Sabbath day. And so they could not approach those dead bodies. They could not touch that tomb. Their religion would not allow them to do anything about what God had decided he wanted to do. And when God gets ready to open a grave, there ain't nothing man can do about it. When God decides to set you free, there ain't nothing that man can do about it. They may not approve of it. They may, not, they may not approve of you. But when God makes up his mind to lay his hand on you and pull you up and out, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. So we looked at this. And we looked at Matthew 27 and 45 through 56, and I will not go back and read that again, but the key verse was in verse 53 when it said, and coming out of the graves on that Sunday morning, coming out of the graves after his resurrection. For two days, the tombs were open. For two days, the Jews could look in. For two days, they could do nothing about it. But those corpses were laying there in their graves. And remember the word graves speaks of memories. Graveyards are filled with regrets, dreams. It's filled with heartache. It's a place to remember, to bring a memorial to someone. Graves means memories. And those people were laying there in those graves and representing their memories and their dreams and broken dreams and broken promises and regrets and mistakes that were made and things that should have been done, could have been done, but never were. And and, and they were laying there in their graves and their tombs were open, but yet they were still in there. But after his resurrection, they came out. And we spoke about coming out of the grave, the tomb of your memories, of getting free. Because on Friday, he may have saved you, but on Sunday, you've got to come out. You've got to come out of your memories and your past and your regrets and your mistakes. And, and so we talked about that. And I said this to you, I need you to wake up. Wake up from that death sleep. Wake up by remembering what he said and forgetting what you did or what they did to you. You got to forget that. Remember what he promised you. Remember what he said to you. I need you to wake up and quit being dead man walking. I need you to come out of your memory. Come out of your regrets. Come out of your past. I need you to wake up. And then I said to you, I need you to step out. I need you to step out of that grave. The Bible said those Old Testament saints stepped out. They stepped out and they revealed themselves to the people of Jerusalem. They revealed themselves in their glorified state. I need you to step out as the son of, as sons of God and let the world see you. All of creation is groaning for the sons of God to, to be revealed. It's time for you to come out of the closet and quit being a secret agent for Jesus and let's go ahead and be the sons of God that we're called to be. You need to step out, step up and speak up, amen? come out of the grave. And then number three, I said to you, I need you to drop your guard. The Bible says they guarded Jesus. They guarded Jesus. But when all this began to happen, they said, wow, truly this was the son of God. Listen, you need to realize, you need to remember what he did for you. And you need to trust him again and say, you know what? I've kept him at arm's length, but I'm going to stop doing that. 
I've been a secret agent, but I'm going to quit doing that. I've been in the closet, but I'm coming out. I have kept people at arm's length. I haven't trusted preachers because of a preacher that hurt me. I haven't trusted church people because church people gossiped about me. I don't trust people anymore. But I need you to drop your guard and step out again and live the life that God has called you to. Be the person that he's called you to be, to trust again, to love again. I, I need you to drop your guard. And last Sunday, I said this to you. I've come today on this Resurrection Sunday to tell you that your tomb is open and it's time for you to come out. It's time for you to come out. We were talking about what happened after the resurrection. They woke up, they stepped out, and they dropped their guard and they revealed themselves to people. I want to go just another step and talk about what happened after the resurrection because there is so much. You see, in America, in, in, in the church, and the Gentile church, when you come out of Judaism and the Gentile church, we, we celebrate Easter one day and then we drop it. But we really don't understand that the resurrection extends out further than just one day. It actually begins with Passover. It begins with that resurrection weekend. And it carries for 50 days to Pentecost. And we don't quite understand that. We're still in that resurrection season. That's why I shared this video with you that said, he is risen. Those are three words that change everything. Those are three words that alter my life. And we're still in that resurrection season. We still need to be saying it for the next uh, 35 days that he is risen. We need to keep saying it. We're, we're headed towards Pentecost, and we need to keep saying he is risen, and I'll share that with you today. At Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read out of the Passion Bible. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, to Theophilus, the lover of God. I write to you again, my dear friend, to give you further details about the life of our Lord Jesus and all the things that he did and taught. There's more details to this resurrection story. Just before he ascended into heaven, he left instructions for the apostles he had chosen by the Holy Spirit. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected. Notice this. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom. Powerful. Title this, After His Resurrection, Part 2. Father, bless the reading of your word. Father, I'm asking you to release heaven's hound. Heaven's hound, you're tracking down people today. You're going after them because you're putting together a church, a people within a people. You're looking for that 120 that will change their known world. I prayed in Christ's name and everybody said amen. amen. 40 days of face-to-face -face meetings. Acts 1, verse 3, for 40 days... He had face-to-face -face meetings. You, you've got to believe that when we get to heaven, these conversations will be some of the things that we'll ask people. What did he say to you? Wouldn't you like to know what Jesus shared with them? The Bible is a living book. That's why you can read one verse one day and, get, and, and extract something, and then the next day read it again and extract something else. It's a living book. But it's just a snapshot it's just a snapshot. You do understand there's much more to the story than what we have here. There's other things that God did not share with us. And so there are, there are conversations and things that were revealed to these men that, oh, I would just love to hear. 
I'd love one day to sit down with these guys and say, tell me what he said to you during those 40 days. Now, you know that the number 40 means a period of testing and proving. These 40 days, 40 days from his resurrection to the ascension, 40 days was the time when he was revealing himself, revealing truths, kingdom secrets, and it was a time of proving and testing. God has a plan. This wasn't accidental. God was working towards something. God had something in motion. He was preparing a people for Pentecost. You have to know this, that as I said earlier, the resurrection story is, is more than just one day. It's from the resurrection. It's from that resurrection weekend, that Passover until Pentecost, Shavuot, 50 days later, when the church was birthed in that upper room, 50 days. So God is working on something. He's, he's planning something and he's preparing a people 40 days of testing and proving. But I want you to get your mind wrapped around what's happening. You've got to set the stage for this, this story. First of all, you remember the pain of Friday when the abuse of our Lord was so bad that the, the sun hit its face. You remember the confusion of Saturday when the disciples were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't understand. They put everything on the table for this guy. They left their, their career, their business. They, they walked away from their reputation. They left everything. They put all the chips on the table for this guy. They believed that he was the Messiah that would ride into Jerusalem on a white stallion. He would break the back, the oppression of the Roman Empire, and he would restore the throne of David. But instead, he rode in on the coat of a donkey. And he stood there as they falsely accused him. And they spit in his face. They ripped at his beard. They beat him beyond recognition. And then they stretched him wide and they hung him high. And they watched him die. And now they're confused. But we understand that Sunday's coming. And we see the joy of Sunday morning. But you know the story and you know how this was still so confusing. They didn't understand. Resurrection. He was alive. And they didn't understand all that was taking place. And now for 40 days they're being proved and tested. And for 40 days he's in and out. For 40 days he's just appearing in the in the upper room he he's they're in the the upper room there the windows are locked and the doors are locked and suddenly Jesus appears for 40 days he keeps popping in and out for 40 days he shows up like on the road to Emmaus and they didn't know it was him until he broke bread and then he disappeared for 40 days they've got all this kingdom stuff happening where the veil between time and eternity has been thin it's thin now and, and, and it's just going, eternity is just uh, is touching over into time. And, and they're just, this is messing with their heads. you got to believe that. For 40 days, they're messed up. And then they see him in the ascension. And then for 10 days, heaven goes quiet. As heaven is having a private party to inaugurate the son of God at the right hand of the Father for 10 days. And then on the 50th day, Pentecost, the Bible says there was a sound from heaven and cloven tongues of fire fell and it lit on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to know that this is an amazing moment. You have to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 19 to really appreciate what took place. For in Exodus chapter 19, we find that Israel has come through the Passover. 
They've been delivered from Egypt. And now they're out there at the Mount, Mount Sinai. And on this mountain, suddenly the fire of God falls. There's an earthquake. There's a sound. There's, a, 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 there's an experience that's taking place. It says that they came to the foot of the mountain and, and God told Moses to tell the people to prepare yourself. And then three days later, <laughs> three days later, this experience explodes on the top of the mountain. And they receive the Torah. They receive the Ten Commandments. They receive the word of the Lord. And this is where a nation was born in one moment. And then you go thousands of years later to the day of Pentecost. And it's the same moment in time. But this time, instead of a nation being born, a church is being born. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing. The Jews are coming out of the temple and they just they were just celebrating that experience in Exodus chapter 19. They're reading the scriptures about a sound and fire and earthquake and, and, and the three days and, and the experience and the birthing of a nation and the giving of God's word. And, and now they're coming out and they're, they're seeing the same type of experience taking place in the upper room. There's a sound and there's a shaking and there's fire and the church is being born though. And they're going, oh my goodness. They're comparing Acts 2 and Exodus 19. And it's messing with their heads. And they realize something is happening. So you have to understand how important the season we're in right now. The Bible says in Leviticus 23, he told Israel, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Now, this has actually developed into more of an agricultural uh, uh, holiday or uh, event, but it it's really didn't start that way. You have to understand that the idea of counting each day for 49 days until you reach that 50th day, the idea of counting each day represents spiritual preparation and anticipation for the giving of the Torah, which was given to God or given by God on Mount Sinai at the beginning of the month, Sivan, around the same time as a holiday of Shavuot or Pentecost. Okay. So you have to understand that we talk about the, the grain and the offering, but really what God intended for Passover, 49 days of counting the Omer, 49 days, and on each day they read a blessing. On each day, they're counting, 49 days, they're reading a blessing, and they're preparing their hearts. They're going through repentance. They're getting things right in anticipation of the 50th day when the fire of God falls and the Torah is given. They're moving towards Shavuot. So we're in that time of counting the Omer. It's Passover or deliverance, preparing or counting the days, or Pentecost or revelation, a revelation. Now, that's where we're at right now. God is preparing our hearts for Pentecost, counting of the Omer. Today, we're on the 14th day. It began yesterday at sundown. It'll end this afternoon when the sun goes down and they go into the 15th day tonight. But today is the 14th day of the counting of the Omer. So starting tonight, we're 35 days from Shavuot, our Pentecost. And each day, the Jews are searching their hearts, preparing for that great holiday, that great celebration. We as a people of God, we have a deeper revelation and perhaps a greater appre appreciation for what this is. Because we know what's coming on Shavuot. It's not just the Torah, the giving of the Ten Commandments, but it is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't only the birth of a nation, it's the birth of a church. When the power of God fell, we understand this. We have a greater revelation. And that's what this moment is about, revelation. Remember, through, through, through those first 40 days... That first time Jesus is appearing to them and he's giving them revelation and he's teaching them and he's talking to them and he's sharing kingdom secrets to them. 
And he's preparing them for what's coming. We have to be a people that are constantly preparing for what's coming. There needs to be an anticipation. You have to understand, we should live with a great anticipation. We should be a people that come to church every Sunday anticipating great things happening. Complacency, that lethargic spirit, apathy is what kills the church. We have to shake that off. Let me show you Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, men of Galilee, the angel said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 500 people were gazing up into the sky as Jesus is ascending up. How many would agree that that would be a life-altering experience? How many of you would be rattled if I levitated right now and went up to the ceiling? And I gave an altar call. Everything in the house gets saved. You say I'm saved, you get saved again. But they stood there gazing. And when the day of Pentecost come, there's only 120 still there. See, the problem is we need to stop gazing where he was and go to Pentecost where he will be. And that's the problem with the church. We have an experience and we just stand there gazing. 120 are in the upper room. 120 are in the upper room. 380 are back on the mountain still standing there gazing. Well, this is where he left from. I'm waiting right here because he's coming back. You need to leave where he was and go where he's going to be. It's, you need to move into what God's doing. I am so appreciative of Azusa Street, Tent Revivals, Jesus Movement, Charismatic Movement, Brownsville, Toronto. I am so appreciative and I stand on the bones of my fathers, but I want to go where God is going to be and not where God was. We've got to find the next move of God. New wine demands new wineskins. The, the reason I say this is because in America, we don't like change. We like to stand gazing. But you have to realize, Jesus said to the disciples, if I don't go, he won't come. If I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. Listen, guys, church history shows that every revival has a beginning and an end. And it breaks my heart when they end. But he has to end it so he can move us to what's next. He said, if I don't go, he won't come. We have to, we can, revival, sovereign moves of God are going to start and stop. But the point is, we should remain as a revived people. And be a part of the next great move of God that's coming. We have to be a people that don't stay gazing where he was, but we're people that are hungry and we go to where he's going to be on the day of Pentecost. You see, Acts chapter 2 verse 1 said, when the day of Pentecost, 50th day came, they were all together in one place, all 120. <laughs> the rest of them, I guess they were still gazing. 120, they were all together. The 49 days of counting. Listen to that. The 49 days, all that time Jesus was with them. And the 10 days of the inauguration, all that time. The 49 days of counting were considered seven weeks of repentance and preparing for the encounter with God on Shavuot. To prepare yourself. Today is the 14th day of counting the Omer, and I believe God is preparing a people for the next Pentecost. Whatever that is, whenever that is, he's wanting us to constantly be counting the Omer, preparing ourselves, searching our hearts, repenting, brokenness, and saying, God, I want to be not where you, you were, but I want to be where you're going to be. I'm going to Pentecost. So let me just show you these people that he was gathering up. 
I just find this amazing. I, I, I just, you got to remember, and, and, and Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, it said, Jesus stood up and said, I'm alive. I died, but I came to life. My life is now forever. See these keys in my hand? They open and lock death's doors. They open and lock hell's gates. You got to love that. The Bible tells us that Jesus died, and, and theologians debate over this issue, and I don't care to get into that, of, of what did it mean when it said he went into the bowels of the earth, and does that mean he went to bosom, the bosom of Abraham, and he preached to the Old Testament saints, and, and then he led captivity captive, he led them out, and then we watched them walking on the streets of Jerusalem after his resurrection, and, and then the bosom of Abraham was consumed, it was taken over by hell itself, and it was, in, for hell has enlarged itself. I, I really don't want to get into all of that, but I do know this. After the resurrection, he came out and he says, I've got the keys. I've got the keys. And keys, remember, are used to unlock things. And Jesus came out and said, I got the keys. I got the keys. And he told them in John chapter 16, he said, before he died, he said, listen, guys, I will, as in future tense, he said, I will. He didn't say, I, I am. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And what you bound on earth has already been bound in heaven. What has been loosed on earth is going to be loosed or loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. Jesus said, I need you to get up and declare what my father decides. I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to give you the keys one day. And when Jesus came out, he said, I've got them. I've got them. So let me just, can I give you just six of 13? And everybody said, hallelujah. Just, and I got to go quick. Six of 13 post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And I want to use that as a backdrop because I think heaven's hound He's searching for people on, and this, on this campus and online. He's searching because he's putting together people for Pentecost. He's gathering up a team. He's looking for people that won't be gazers, but people that are hungry and that will be in the upper room in the firefalls. Six people. Number one, first appearance of Christ after the resurrection, during the days of counting the omer, which is the days of preparation, proving, testing, who will be found in the upper room. The first appearance was a woman, a woman who could not find God, a woman who had lost him. For John chapter 20 says, they asked her, woman, Mary, why are you weeping? She said, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. You remember the story. She comes to the tomb. Mary, that had been delivered of the demons. The one that Jesus said, she that is forgiven of much loveth much. She came to the tomb and the tomb was empty. And she stood there weeping, saying, where is my Lord? There are people in this room and perhaps watching online, like her, you've gone through a tragedy. Like her, you've experienced heartache, heartbreak. And it's so easy whenever we go through a tragedy to lose God. The two sisters at the tomb of Lazarus said to Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why is it that the presence of death always equals the absence of God for us? Anytime there's a tragedy, we always think God is absent. Anytime there's a heartbreak, we always think, where's God? You see, it's easy for us during a tragedy to misplace God. It's easy for us to lose him. And perhaps in this room or online, there's someone that you've gone through a heartache and a tragedy and you're in this time of counting the omer, a time of proving and a time of testing. And right now, you're saying, Pastor, so much has become too much, and I don't know where he is. You've lost him. Hold on. Second appearance, two men who lost hope. Luke 24, road to Emmaus. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? The Bible says they stopped. They stood still, and their faces were downcast. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem us. 
What is more, it's the third day since it took place. These guys were these guys were hopeless. Remember, the Jews believed that the spirit lingered around the tomb for three days before it took its flight. That's why Jesus had to wait to the third day to prove to everybody he's dead, he's thoroughly dead, but he, now he lives. So the spirit was gone. So these guys had a troubled heart, a troubled mind. They had lost hope and they'd lost their spirit. The situation was just too much. They had lost their hope. And so today in this room, watching online, there are those who perhaps your face is downcast. Perhaps you've lost hope. You've also lost your spirit. I've watched people for 40 years go through tragedy and have questions and confusion and I don't understand and where's God and how's this working out and I don't understand this and they they get downcast David said it this way why are you downcast oh my soul why are you downcast that was a shepherd's term and it referred to how sheep would get over on their backs and they'd have all this wool and they would, they'd get on their backs and they could not right themselves. And, and, and if they laid there, they'd either die to the elements, to the weather, or they would fall to a beast of prey. And so the shepherd would come along and he would right them and get them back on their feet. And he said, why are you downcast, oh my soul? You're cast, you're on your back and you can't get up. Saul was chasing after him and David didn't understand what have I done to this man? All I ever did was try to serve him and be loyal to him. And he's trying to kill me. And, and, and David, he said, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? And, and he calls his soul to attention. Sometimes you got to call your soul to attention. you got to write yourself and say, stand up, soldier up. And here these men are downcast. And they've lost their spirit. Two men that lost hope. Perhaps you've lost hope. Perhaps you've lost hope. And you find yourself cast and you can't get up. Hold on. Number three, the third appearance. There was a group of men with closed minds. Luke 24, they're in the room. The doors and windows are locked. He steps in and he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why is there doubt rising in your minds? Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Their minds were closed off. Perhaps in this room and online, there are people whose minds are closed off to the things of God. So much has been too much and people get cynical and critical and negative and they give up on, on miracles, on manifestations, on the move of God. We lose hope. We begin to doubt we begin to question our experiences. We begin to question things. Did I really experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Was that really a river flowing out of my innermost being? Or was that just some gibberish that came off the top of my head? Was that really a miracle that I witnessed in that man's life? Or was that, or was that just a, a coincidence? Salvation really, is it really, is it true? Is it real? People, people go through things and, and they're, they're, they, people begin to have doubts about things and they begin to question things. And is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? Is Jesus really alive? Is he truly the only way to the Father? People begin to doubt and people's minds begin to get closed off. And I, I'm not sure I believe in that fire of Pentecost anymore. I, I don't believe in miracles anymore. I, I, I question the, 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 the church and the purpose it serves in my life. And people, I really believe right now because of 2020 and they've, they've gotten out of the habit of going to church and they've saw that life does go on without church and, and they begin to close their minds off and close their minds off to the need of church and fellowship and, and discipleship and corporate worship and coming under the preaching of God's word and the altar experience and the glory of God that comes into a room like this. People begin to close off their minds. Jesus walked into that moment and perhaps you're here today 
and your mind is closing off, I'm asking you to hold on. The fourth appearance was a disciple with an evil twin. You remember the story, John 20. Thomas, whose name was Didymus, he was one of the 12. Jesus stepped into the room and he doubted. Didymus means twofold or twin. Some called him, sometimes he was Thomas, sometimes he was Didymus. Sometimes he believed, sometimes he doubted. Sometimes he was solid, sometimes he was unstable. And we all deal with Didymus. Now, we don't like to admit it, but we all have a Didymus inside of us. We all have that evil twin brother that we try to keep him back and hide him. But there are those here today and perhaps online that you have been living a double life, that you have this twofold thing coming, coming over you. You're one man, one woman when you're home, but on the business trip, you turn into something totally different. You're one thing on Sunday morning, but on the job site, you're a different person. Twofold, evil twin, a didymus. And into that moment, Jesus came. I apologize for repeating myself, but I keep saying it. The days of the convenient Christian is over, and it's time for Christians with conviction. It's time for us to stand up and speak up for what we really believe in, to speak truth and love, and to be willing to live and to die for the truth that he's entrusted to us. The days of being wishy-washy and a Didymus one day and a Thomas the next has got to end. It's got to stop. It's got to come to an end. We're in the day of proving, testing, counting of the Omer, preparing for something, headed towards Shavuot or Pentecost, and God is looking for 120 people that will be there when he needs them. And every one of us has got to deal with this Didymus. You've got to deal with that Didymus that takes you into the internet to places you shouldn't be going. We've got to deal with that evil twin brother, that evil twin sister. We've got to deal with that person and put them aside and be who God has called us to be. The fifth appearance was a disciple that denied knowing him. John chapter 21, you remember. Peter and the disciples, again, they're dealing with confusion and heartache and I don't understand. And Peter says, well, I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to that which is familiar to me. For three years, I followed him, and this thing is falling apart, and I don't understand. I'm going back to fishing. At least I'm familiar with that. And so they go fishing, and they're out there fishing, and suddenly they look on the shoreline, and there's a, there's a figure of a man standing there. And he asked them, have you done any good? And they said, no. And he said, try it on the other side. And then they pull in a catch, and then... Peter realizes it's the Lord, and he takes off, and he goes to the shoreline, and Jesus has got a fire going. <laughs> Jesus is preparing breakfast, and Peter is standing there. And put it on the screen, guys. I want you to see it. John 21. He talks to him, and he asks him the same question three times. Do you love me? And the third time, the light went on, and Peter got it. And the Bible says, it hurt him. It hurt him. And he says, Lord, you know all things, including the night that I denied you. And you know I love you. You see, he asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. And, and he's got him there by the fire because that's back where Peter was the night he denied him. He was warming himself by a fire when the handmaiden asked him, aren't you one of his disciples? And he said, no, three times. And, and the last time he cussed and he cursed and he said, I don't know him. And standing there by that fire, three times Jesus is asking him, do you love me? And with the smell of that smoke coming up and burning his eyes and burning his nose and that pungent smell of that, that fire and those coals and, and, and the setting is right and, and it's the fire and he's, he's faced with a, a confrontation again and three times he's confronted. And in that moment he realized and it hurt him because he realized that Jesus 
was referring back to the night when he denied him. He said, you know everything, including the night I denied you. But he said, you know I love you too. There may be those in the room or online that are watching this that you've denied him. You've denied him. Perhaps you deny him on the job. Perhaps you deny him in the community. Perhaps you deny him in your home. Perhaps you deny him. Perhaps you keep him at arm's length or perhaps you keep him relegated back here just a Sunday morning or perhaps you don't allow him to touch every area of your life. Perhaps on the job, your coworkers don't even know that you're born again, tongue talking Christian because you deny it. You hide it because you're ashamed of it. Denial. You deny him his rightful place in your life. But hold on. The sixth and last appearance after the resurrection and the counting of the Omer, preparing for Shavuot, the gathering up of a group of people that Jesus knows can be a part of the birthing of a church. The last one is a man... who did not fit in. Now, he doesn't fit in not only because of who he was and what he did, but he don't fit in on the day of Pentecost. He came late. The translations actually say that it was a, a, uh, a birth out of time. One translation says it was like an abortion. The translation that I chose here, it uses the word abnormal. And this is referring to Paul. Paul said, and last of all, he's he's saying, last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. This was the last one, the guy that just did not fit in. And there are those that in the room, online, you don't fit in. You feel like you're born out of time. You feel like you're abnormal. You just don't fit in. You just don't fit in with the whole church crowd. You know, there are people that get saved and sometimes, you know, they really feel awkward around us. Have you ever felt that you didn't fit in? Have you ever felt like, you know, just I'm just abnormal? You know, it just... It just happens that way. Sometimes people get saved and they come out of a very colorful background and they don't have all the religiousosity that we have. We, you know, you grow up in church and, and we, know how to, we know how to do church. We know protocol. We know how to do church. And then here comes these converts and they get pulled out like Paul was and they just don't fit in. They just don't fit in abnormal. If that's you, just know God's got a place for you. God's got a place. Are, are, do we, are we willing for the misfits? I just want to ask the question. Are we, do we have room for the misfits in our church? I mean, it's a fair question. What do you do with these people? Misfits. You know, what do you do with the drug addict, the alcoholic, the prostitute? What do you do with them? What do you do with these people, the homeless? What do you do? What do we do with them? Think about it. The LGTBQ community, they got to quit adding to this. This is getting out of hand. But what do we do with this? Do you think they can get saved? You believe they can be filled with the Holy Spirit? You think God's got a calling on their life? What do we do with these misfits? Paul said, I was born out of time. He's like, I wasn't a part of that. You can feel the pain in his heart. You can just sit. He said, I, I wish I'd have been a part of the church. Oh my God. Am I, are you tracking with me? The days of Omer up to the birth of the church. God is gathering up these people. He's gathering up. It's not the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It, it's, it's these people. A woman who's gone through a tragedy and she lost God. Another man that denied him and said, I don't know him. Another man that was 
hopeless and his soul was downcast. Another one, another one that, I mean, look at this list of people. If I'm going to put together a team to start a church, I don't know that that'd be my list. But that's the ones he chose. And now we find this last one. He wasn't a part of the birth of the church. He wasn't there with these people. He said, I shouldn't even be here. I'm the least. He said, I'm abnormal. I was born out of due time. But he chose me. And there are people who come into our churches and they really don't know how to do church. They're like Paul. They persecuted the church. They cussed it and threw sand at it and rocks at it and made fun of it. And they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to be churchy. But they're here because God chose them. If that's you, hold on. You see, we're preparing for Pentecost. Can you hold on for a minute more? Give me two minutes and I'll get out of your way. Prepare for Pentecost. Acts 1-3. Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom. During these 40 days of divine encounters, God was proving, persuading, and preparing a group of people. A group of people. He was revealing to them truths of another realm so they would be ready for the 50th day of Pentecost. Whenever Pentecost fell, they didn't go running, screaming into the day. They stood there. Peter found his voice and 3,000 people got saved. For 49 days, they were reaching trying to understand. For 49 days, their minds were being blown. For 49 days, they were trying to find answers. For 49 days, Jesus is appearing and disappearing. For 49 days, they're having to confront their fears and their doubts and their confusion and their denials. For 49 days, he's proving them. For 49 days. They're reaching, trying to understand so they could reach the 50th day when the church would be born. Took a group of people, a group of people that went through all they went through so God could use them. Today is the 14th day of counting the Omer and I believe God is preparing a people for the next Pentecost. Stephen, come help me. Listen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 2 again reads this way. Just before he ascended into heaven, he left instructions for the apostles that he had chosen by the Holy Spirit. There's so much truth there, I, I'm, I'm still looking for it. He left instructions. He said, I'm going to give you the keys to the family business. He said it in John. He said, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. And I'm going to give you the keys to the business. And I look at this motley crew and I'm going, I'm not so sure I'd give them the keys to any business. I'm not sure I'd entrust the birthing of the church to this group. They're fighting and fussing over who's the greatest. When the soldiers came in the garden, they scattered like sheep. Peter denies him three times. And then throughout the 49 days, you find them again and again locked in the upper room. The window's locked, the door's locked, and they're shivering in fear. And this is the guys you're going to turn this thing over to? But that's us. Right here. He left them instructions. 
why I said at the beginning, for 49 days, for 40 days, I'm sorry, for 40 days, he's revealing himself to them and he's giving them instructions. I used to wonder, how did these guys know what to do on the day of Pentecost and from then, from Acts 2 forward? There was some stuff that he gave them during those 40 days. That's why when I get to heaven, I'm going to sit these guys down and say, tell me what he said. Instructions. I've been praying since technically the Brownsville revival ended in 2000. I may never see another revival in my lifetime, but I'm going to contend for it every day because that keeps me revived. But I have prayed many times. begged him let me see one more move of God and I want you to trust me because we've learned so much during the Omer we learned so much so much trust us again trust us again. So I want to ask you, when he first chose you and he asked you to follow him, what instructions did he give you? What did he say to you that he wanted to do with your life? Number two, when he first chose you and asked you to follow him, what promises did you make him? And then number three, we're in the time of the counting of the Omer. And Pentecost is coming. Are we ready? Are we ready? After the resurrection, for 40 days, he revealed himself to a group of people, a group that he was preparing for the day of Pentecost. Thank you for listening to the One City Church podcast. For more information about our church, visit onecity.church.